does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com. I do not, I've known him for a long time. I don't know him to be a gambler, but clearly he lost a bet because he's agreed to come on the program, which always accentuates our conversation and gives it credibility about Indiana. Um, Jeff, I'm going to get right to the matter. First off, thanks for joining us. And secondly, uh, Xavier Johnson, just in terms of his status for the remainder of the season, stands where at this point? Um, I think it's going to be at least a little while. Um, it's not just going to be like, you know, day to day. I don't think, um, you know, I think there is a chance that he comes back at some point, but I think we're probably talking a matter of, you know, two, three weeks, somewhere around there um, versus just, you know, another game or two. And what is the actual injury for Xavier Johnson? Uh, basically, uh elbow area when 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 he went for that dunk you know the way he fell kind of fell sideways hit the floor really hard so it's it's elbow slash arm is is, is probably the best way to describe it here's the thing about him jeff I, i've been hard on him okay um and, and so i'm not asking you to pile on with that but if you could see if this makes sense my question about xavier johnson who i know has talent i mean don't get me wrong i i I obviously know the talent is there but at the same time the inconsistency you know this year the consistency has not been there obviously maybe that's a health issue i get it and and i hate to say this about a young player but are they better off in other words could they get to a point where they just say you know what we have continuity now in terms of how we're finishing off the year with our backcourt play so let's just go ahead and and you get healthy for whatever your next venture is in the game of basketball no no they're not better without him and the reason is uh he's the only player they have on this roster who can really has legitimate wiggle that is get his defender off balance uh get hip to hip with him go by him the only guy who can really turn the corner, uh, truly turn the corner in the ball screen, get downhill. Um, and, and that's something that if you're going to run a ball screen heavy offense, you really have to have. Now, people are going to say, Robbie, what about last night? Trey Galloway. Didn't you see it? Yeah. Okay. I saw it last night. Um, and Galloway did a phenomenal job. Uh, but he's not the guy. He doesn't have the quickness that Xavier has. Um, now, can Trey Galloway do some really good things and make some good decisions? and not bring you the risk of the Xavier Johnson knucklehead stuff, yes, he can. See, that's and yes, that's the can. thing, Jeff, <laughs> you know, right? But, I mean. Yeah, well, that's, and, you know, some people are like, okay, well, what's the trade-off? That, that sounds kind of like what you're asking, what's the trade-off? But, you know, Indiana's better. Good Xavier Johnson is the best guard Indiana has on his roster by a reasonable margin. So sometimes – you're looking at, okay, what's the risk, what's the reward? Uh, Xavier Johnson, good X, does have a lot of rewards. You know, Mike Woodson's first year, the way Xavier got going with, with Trace Jackson Davis uh, there in the Big Ten tournament, probably got them in the NCAA tournament. Um, so I, I don't think I use better off without him. I, I really don't. Um, and I, and I, I think at this point in time, 
I might be in the minority, and that's okay. Well, I guess I'm, here's a know, better I'm way of saying my honest opinion. I, I guess the better way of saying it, and I respect what you're saying, right? I mean, the, the reality is, you know, he's still shooting nearly 41% from the floor. That's basically on par with where he's been. His three-point shooting has dipped a bit. Um, and, and I know that there have been injuries there. I, I guess I probably should have rephrased the question of, if they get to the point where they are playing as much for next year as this, and they're not there yet, I realize that, but if they get to that point, are they better served in terms of just the continued minutes and development for guys that are going to be on roster next year, if that makes sense? Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, that's kind of like a little bit different. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't I don't know how much this year – uh, that 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 Indiana is going to be playing for next year, you know, because, um, you know, I, I think I think I think where probably going to the NBA. He's likely draft pick. You know, uh, I was kind of surprised, but I was talking to some NBA scouts who were at the game last night, and uh, there, there's at least two teams that want to bring McKenzie and Baku in for workouts, see what happens. Um, now you would you would you would expect you know him not to get drafted, but you never know. You know, we all remember George Hill. Everybody said, kid's leaving IUPUI. What the heck? Boom, got drafted. Um, but I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I guess at some point IU could be playing for next year, but I really don't think so. I, 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 or I shouldn't say I think that's tough. But their roster, really to do. your point, Jeff, their roster could look, I don't know if you'd say remarkably different next year, but it's certainly just today's college basketball, not, not indicting Indiana their roster has potential to look greatly different next year, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the point I was clumsily trying to make there. Yeah, I think there's, you know, it's one of those things where big-name programs who have expectations, if they don't make them, uh, meet them, and certainly uh, the way IU's performed this season is not to IU expectations. Everybody knows that. So I think, um, you know, in those situations – you anticipate some roster turnover. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jeff, when you examine this team, do you see a team at this stage that is playing like they still believe they can turn the season around and improbably make March Madness? Or is this a team that is still playing for pride, that's playing for we're not going down on an awful road loss to Ohio State, we're not going to slump through our final eight, nine games, we're going to stay the course. Is the team playing for pride or is it a team that really believes they can still make the dance? They think they can make a run. And the the biggest thing is they're all committed to fighting to try to make a run. Um, you know, we all see the, the roster issues. You know, it's the roster that's way too front court heavy, not nearly enough guard play, not nearly enough three-point shooting. Um, even though they've had some moments here and, the, here and there from, from three-point range. But this is a team, you know, does, standing back in the hallway, you know, talking with Trey Galloway and Anthony Lee last night, and even and even uh, Malik, you know, they're like, you know, we just we just came back from eighteen down, 
you know, why can't we play better than we have? Why can't we do this more frequently? And, you know, they're a team that believes that if they fight, they could have a chance. Now, we all look at the math and go, okay, it's a long road, which, which certainly it is when you look at their net ranking and, and where they are in Bart Torvik and everything. But it's a team that's committed to fighting. You know, they, they really – I mean, look at the way Malik Renu played last night. I mean – Well, he's been that way. All, I mean, all he year is. he's the one guy, Jeff. I know there's probably been hiccups here and there. But I just think that his overall consistency this year – and a guy that has just kind of gone out and done his job. I mean, I think the world of the way he's played this year. Yeah, and I would put I would put Khalil Ware like as right there next door neighbor, maybe. You know, um, uh, Malik's been uh, had 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 more you know the big time performances, but 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 Khalil Ware has been really good too. And especially if you look at some of the analytics, you know, the impact analytics, those guys are one two on the IU basketball team. And without those two, I don't, I use not 500. I'm not even too sure if they got double digit wins. Cause those two have carried the Indiana basketball team at times. You know, Malik last night, just, you know, 26 points, 14 rebounds, plays 38 minutes. Um, other times, you know, he, he's played heavy minutes. And, and that's another thing that's been impressive. And you know, we all saw him as a freshman, you know, he got in foul trouble. And then during the summer, I was writing, I think he's going to make a big jump. People are like, well, Rabbi fouls all the time. He can't stay on the court. How can we make a jump? Well, people can improve. They can improve their footwork. They can improve their positioning. They can improve their balance. Um, and, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for his work in the offseason with Cliff Marshall. You know, he improved his body. And for bigs, as we've all seen over the years, when they get in you know, better shape, Less leaning, less reaching, maybe one fewer foul on the first half, stay on the court for the rest of the first half, those kind of things. But his footwork improvement has been tremendous. His his ability to score against legit players. You know, I mean, you can go back to the UConn game. You know, UConn coach Dan Hurley said, that guy's going to be a killer. And he was right. Jeff Rabjohns of Pigs.com is our guest. Jeff, I'm kind of with you on the Xavier Johnson thing. Regardless of why they got in this situation with their backcourt, whether it's they – failed in the transfer portal or they just didn't address guard play on the recruiting trail, whatever the, the combination is for why they're in this boat that they are. I've always kind of felt that way that Xavier Johnson is still their best guard. He can create his own shot and not having him out there for stretches of the season has asked other guards to do things that maybe was not projected of them. But then you look at a guy like Trey Galloway and it feels like he's been right there at times during his IU career. I'm not saying he needs 25 every night, but why is it that it's been so up and down with Galloway in terms of he's never really turned a corner to the point that you can say, no, he is reliably the best guard out there night in and night out? Yeah, I think a little bit of it is um, at times he's asked to be play point guard, and, and he's not a point guard. He's at best when he's a wing, wing shooter, wing facilitator. That, that's when Trey Galloway is at his best. So he's been asked to do some things that, that he really you know, he's really not built to do. And to his credit, he had never once complained, never once said, Coach, what are you doing to me? It's always, whatever you need, Coach, I'll give you everything I got. And that leads to great teammates. It doesn't necessarily lead to great play on the court all the time because when you ask players to do things that's not like their primary skill set, you're going to have ups and downs. That's not the kid's fault. 
it's not the kid's fault. It's not his fault that he stayed healthy and been willing to go out there and be a warrior night in and night out for his team. Um, but I think, you know, when you ask guys to do things that aren't their primary skill set, I think you're going to have ups and downs. Um, but I give Trey Galloway a ton of credit just for, for his mentality of whatever you need. And, and he's had some great moments, obviously. Um, you know, last night was certainly one of them, going on and get 25 points on the road, three for three from three in the second half. Uh, you know, being one of the key guys to lead your team to its biggest come-from-behind come victory in 26 years, big moment. He was obviously terrific against Kansas. You know, IU fell four points short, but his 28-point game against Kansas was, was absolutely outstanding. Um, and, and the other thing is I think there are times when you put him in ball screens and have him drive. I think there are times when uh, teams kind of collapse and give him easy passes like Ohio State did last night. We, we've all seen the, the, the Anthony Leo three. Galloway comes around the Malikano screen, goes to the right side of the lane. All of a sudden, boom, four Ohio State defenders swarm to so the kick out. Uh, but I think other times when guys who have legit length, legit athleticism, stay with him, kind of makes them – and the other team doesn't leave whoever else IU has on the perimeter, kind of makes some tougher finishes for him. Um, so that, that's why I think you see some, you know, some ups and downs as far as numbers from Trey Galloway. Um, but I do think he deserves credit for one. Um, he is a five-star teammate and ask anybody who's ever played with him, ask him, I don't care if it's a head coach, assistant coach, trainer, call Tim Garl and ask him what he thinks of Trey Galloway. Um, you know, that guy deserves a lot of credit for, for what he brings in terms of that. Um, in, in my opinion, on a day-to-day basis to a basketball team. Jeff Rabjohns is our guest. You, of course, can read his work at Peaks.com. Jeff, you are around Indiana, obviously, a lot, right? As much as anybody that's not on scholarship. So I've got a couple questions about Mike Woodson for you. Um, wait, wait, you're, you're, you're saying I'm not worth the scholarship? You see my <laughs> jumper? Come on. Your jumper's wet, as the kids say, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, because it goes in the water most of the time and misses the rim. That's all right. All right, so Jeff, first question about Mike Woodson is this because I don't know and so I'm I'm going to ask you to illuminate for our listeners would you list Mike Woodson as a an in your face motivating coach or more of like a players coach hands off type kind of lets guys figure out where they need to be coach how would you describe his coaching style I would call it hands-on, but it's not like an aggressive, in-your-face, screaming style. It's a lot more like, um, uh, okay, let's say I'm Mike Woodson, you're Jake, you're playing, we're in practice, you did something wrong three times in a row. Blow the whistle really hard. Jake, son, damn it. Now, you went to North Central. Didn't, didn't they teach you anything? Didn't they te- did, they, did they teach you anything? What, what, and did you listen to the words that I just told you? Yeah, coach. Okay. How about you try to do what the bleep I'm telling you to do? How about that, huh? Okay. Look, Jake, look me in the eye. You listening to me, son? Okay. Now, we're going to do this until you get it right. And if everybody else gets mad, they're going to be mad at you for the rest of the day. You got it? Blow the whistle. Do it again. That's a little more Mike Woodson. Okay. You know? Which now, is very now, good insight, are- by the way. And I did go to North Central. Kudos. Yeah, yeah. I know you're proud of your school. Um, <laughs> yeah. There, there are times that the volume gets turned up. You know, not going to pretend that doesn't happen either. 
But for the most part, it's, you know, he's trying to teach, you know, if he has to get into him, it's a little more of, okay, let's, you know, grab him, look me in the eye, son, you know, before you kind of just go nuclear on him. Okay, you know? so what would you say right now then, Jeff Rabjohns, is his level of frustration versus other times that you've seen of his tenure with the way Indiana's playing right now? Because I do hear a lot of him saying, like, look, I just got to get these guys to play harder. And at times it feels like he seems exasperated that it's that it's not getting through. What's his level of frustration? And what is the time frame, do you believe, on when he himself starts to get to the same level of questioning that people may have of him? Um, oh man, those are two really good questions. Uh, I have a hard time speaking for somebody else's level of frustration, but I know he's uh, – he, he, he thought the backcourt was going to be a lot better, um, which I, – I, how can I say this and be diplomatic – which I think was being very hopeful, okay? Um, if you take, let's say, Peyton Sparks, Anthony Walker, nice kids, not talking about them as people. We're talking positionally here, okay? Just positions. If you took a backup center who barely plays and made that a shooting guard and took a backup forward who gives you spot minutes here and there and made that a wing who can slash, I use backcourts a lot better. And, you know, it's it's not – you know, some of the guys who you have there are solid players, but, you know, they're not studs. You know, Trey Galloway, we talked about. Anthony Leo playing a lot better. Uh, Anthony Leo should play more, in my opinion. Um, Gabe Cups, freshman, was expected to play behind Xavier Johnson, possibly even behind a portal combo guard. Nobody in the world was projecting Gabe Cups starting point guard for Indiana as a freshman. Nobody. The grief that kid gets on, on social media is ridiculous. The people yelling at that kid are <clears throat> not very bright. Um, so I, I think I think Woodson was a little too hopeful, in my opinion, about the production of this specific backcourt. I really do. Um, so, you know, his level of frustration, I think he's frustrated. Um but I think I think the big thing for Indiana right now is this. As we sit here today, not projecting the next eight game results for IU, just saying, as the three of us sit here and talk today, I think the biggest thing for Indiana is get a home run in the 2024 transfer portal cycle. I think that's the number one thing that would change next season for the Indiana basketball team. Jeff, we and appreciate as, the as, time. As as, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just say, as far as like <clears throat> how long what he wants to go, I don't know. I can't speak to that. I, I can't speak to that, you know, other than I know he wants to be seen as the guy who got IU basketball back on track. You know, Fair. five years yeah. before, no NCAA tournaments, he wants to be seen as, as that guy. And obviously this year, that ain't, that ain't back on the tracks. So I guess it adds fuel to the fire to come back next year and and try to get it going, right? And then eventually find the guy that the reins are handed off to. But a lot of time between now and then. Jeff, I appreciate the time as always. What's your high school, Jeff? My high school? Uh, some little podunk high school in another state that nobody's heard about. It's Nobody cares about. Illinois, right? Is that your home state? <laughs> well, I was actually born in D.C., but uh, since bounced around a lot so we ended up going to high school in illinois yeah but nothing like north central by the way <laughs> your panthers did you go did you go to the reunion 
I did not. My my cousin's kids on that team. Uh-huh. So technically, my my first cousin once removed, but my cousin Lucas Query was on that team, but I was not there. That was eight years after me, and I was like, you know, I was peddling cigars then, man. I know Doctor White was there, and I love Doug Mitchell, and I know Lucas was there, but I did not make it. But I'm proud of him. Hail our Panthers, Jeff. Hail our Panthers. There you go. There right. you go. Appreciate you guys. All right, sounds good. Appreciate it, Jeff. Jeff Rabjohns. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Purdue is the number two team in the land, and as we have talked about on this program, really darn good in a multitude of areas. P.J. Thompson, who of course was a point guard for the Boilermakers and is now their director of player development on Matt Painter's staff, joins us on the program. P.J., I'm going to get right to this point. I watched the game against Wisconsin, and what most impressed me was I felt like that was a game, and I don't mean this as a disrespect to your team last year, but I mm-hmm. felt like that was a game that maybe last year Purdue doesn't get because 18 and 13 is still really good. But it wasn't vintage Zach Eady, but other right. players were ready for that responsibility in that moment. Now, is that why I am broadcasting on the radio and not on the sideline of a basketball team? No, I, I think you're 100% correct. I think we've had a handful of, of games like that this year. Um so where Zach did what he did, I mean, that Zach does what he does. He's going to get you 20-something in double-figure rebounds more times than not. But, like, our guard play has been great. Like, our transfer, Lance Jones, has given us a different dynamic we haven't had here in quite a few years. And then I just think, like, Braden Smith got better. Like, he was a stud last year. He's a freshman, played a lot of minutes, have a heavy load on his plate. Um, he just got better. Like, Fletcher Lawyer gotten better. And that experience that you can get – you know, playing through mistakes, playing in big-time environments on the road, you know, it kind of prepares you for games like we experienced against Wisconsin um, to where it doesn't really phase our guys anymore and we're able to win in, in different ways. I thought last year Zach carried us and, um, you know, we just played through him and, you know, we got fatigued down the stretch and we didn't make shots. And um, now I think our guards are carrying us at times this year. When you look – I'm curious about this, and let's go back to, say – you know, both guards, right? Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer as well, you know, in, in going from year one to year two. For you, P.J. Thompson, as a coach, as you were getting those players to grow and working with them and developing them, how much did you have to develop as a coach from year one to two with those guys by learning that what you as a player had as instinct – other players may not. And so, therefore, you automatically assume a guy is going to see something on the floor and you had to realize, you know what, I've got to talk that player through what they should be seeing because it's maybe not instinctive what was for me. How much did you grow with them? Oh, a a ton. You know, Coach Payne always, you know, would tell me, like, you know, it's not what you know. Like, it's what they know. And so, from a preparation standpoint, like – you know, like I understand exactly what, you know, Indiana wants to do on Saturday. Like I've played against them a bunch of times. Like I understand, like they're going to push out catches. They're going to make things tough. They they just didn't play as hard 
at home as they as they have in the past in order to you know beat us how they have and so like just because i know that that doesn't mean like my job i get paid to to make our players understand that and with brayton and, and fletcher specifically those two just from working working out those guys um you know throughout the year watching the film with them at every game like you know, it's something new just because they're mature and they're smarter than most, you know, 19, 20-year-olds. That doesn't mean that they know everything. And so, like, for me, it's it's been great having a mentor like Coach Painter because I was once a mature player, but that didn't mean I knew everything, too. And if I could go back and change things, like, you know, I probably would have a better, you know, playing career from the things that I've experienced now on the coaching side and just what I've picked up on and, and learned. P.J. Thompson, Director of Player Development for Purdue Basketball, is our guest. P.J., I know you guys are tired of hearing of it, but it matters for the end story of this specific era of Purdue basketball. When you look back to the lost FDU a year ago, the narrative immediately after is guard play let them down. The narrative all season was guard play is eventually going to let them down. If you double and triple team ED, they're going to break at some point. And it was going to be an offseason for you and the rest of Coach Painter's staff devoted to a year of growth, improvement, and development for your guards. And I know Lance Jones helped that, but focusing again on Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, at what point during the offseason did you realize they are going to take the step forward this year? Yeah, I think we, you know, we realized it right away. I think when Coach Painter recruited those guys, like I think he knew that they were special then. And I think when you, you know, pair them with the, one of the most dominant players, you know, ever in college basketball, like they needed, you know, what happened at the end of the season to kind of to kind of fuel us. Like obviously, you want to learn through winning. Like Coach Paint talks about that all the time. Um, and we and we did that. We did a lot of winning last year, but you know, we needed to kind of evaluate what we're doing as a staff, how we're playing in order to take that next step. And I think that starts with up top with Coach Painter, and he did that. Like, he's one of the best coaches to ever coach in college basketball. Like, he could retire now, and he's a Hall of Famer. But, like, he took a he took a look in the mirror, and he's like, well, what do I have to change? And he's changed so much, you know, this year while – still remaining the same and, you know, like we're going to be productive and win games. But if like he always talks about, you know, people say a lot, whether we win or lose, like we're the topic of conversation. And, you know, a lot of it's coming from an untrained eye. Like people don't exactly know what they should or shouldn't even be watching. They just, you know, Twitter gives you a voice and Twitter allows people to say whatever they want. So people just say stuff. But it's from an untrained eye. And if you look at us this year compared to last year, like we're playing a different way. I'm talking from an offensive standpoint, like the ball is in Braden's hands and it's never been like that in any point guard in the Painter era. And one, because Braden deserves it, but two, like he's a magician with the basketball. Like we don't have to pound, pound, pound and throw the ball to Zach Eady through sets in order to, for him to dominate the game and get us 25 and 12. Like Zach's setting more ball screens this year than he's ever have, and we're having success because of it. But also, like it's not just Zach Fletcher is, Lance is, Mason is. Um, 
Brayton is, like Cam Heidi off the bench, Ethan Morton in a different role, like Trey Kaufman, like playing a starting role. Like we've had guys that are playing different roles, but we're, we're, we're having different people win this games throughout the year. And it hasn't been that way. But I think it's a, um, a testament to Coach Painter and him just being able to say, like, I am one of the best to ever do this, but I do have to make to make some changes and allow, um, you know, Purdue to grow. And he, he absolutely did that. P.J. Thompson is our guest who's on staff with the Purdue men's basketball program. P.J., there have been times, not just with Purdue, I mean, at times when Jaden Ivey was there, this comes to mind. You may respectfully disagree with that, but there have been teams that I've seen, I think a lot of teams have this, where you get one player that is so dynamic that other guys on the floor can ball watch, and by that I mean they kind of let that guy go into isolation and then everybody's just kind of standing like, wow, he's going to carry us here. Um, there's the capability of that because Zach Eady can be so dominant. But has right. your team fallen into that trap? And if not, how do you avoid that? Yeah, I, I don't think we have. And I, I think uh, you can avoid it in a lot of different ways. I think we're running different actions that we've never run before. Um, and, and it's made it harder for the defense to kind of just lock in on Zach. Like Zach is getting – like he has less usage than he's had – last year when he was a national player of the year um but he's getting the same if not more production because of it and it's harder to guard Zach because I got to worry about guys that are shooting 40 percent plus you know from three on the perimeter and I and now it puts you know defenders in a situation to where it's like my coach told me I got to bump Zach on this pick and roll and now I got to go close out to Lance Jones and keep him from blowing by me on the perimeter and keep him from shooting the open standstill three. And that's a part, like, that's where our system has grown. And um, we've made it tougher on defenses from that standpoint. And then we're playing faster in transition. Like, if you look at our numbers last year in, in, in production and transition, um, you know, our system's still the same. You know, a team scores, we're going to call a set, we're going to execute. But on misses, man, our guys are getting up and down the court, sprinting the corners, our spacing's better. Um, and we're getting points in transition and still in baskets, so we're not having to face a half-court defense. And we're forced to execute at a level that's just not always sustainable. Um, and I, I, and I think that's because we've made the necessary adjustments to do so. PJ, We've got a guy here, a colleague of mine, all of ours. I mean, he works here at the building, Scotty Johnston. Scotty's that guy, and every, anybody listening right now that works in an office has mm-hmm. a Scotty Johnston, and I always call him the the copier guy. And by that, I mean when you're in the office and somebody goes, the copier's broken again. It's like, well, get a hold of Scotty. He knows how to fix it. That guy knows where everything is and knows what everything is, and he just do, like you feel comfortable when he's in the building, right? Everything's going to get taken care of. Every team needs – the copier guy every team needs the scotty johnston guy that you know you can send out there and no matter what needs to be done he's going to put ego aside and just go out and do it for you produces who that's a great question um i I think produces mason gillis like you you see mason um be a starter um he's a fifth-year guy you see mason play 30-something minutes a game um, and be productive on winning teams that have gone to the Sweet 16 that's won the league um, in years past. And now he's taken on a role to where, you know, he's arguably sixth man, you know, of the year in the Big Ten. Like, obviously, in our team, he is. But, like, that's that's um, 
that's like growth. Like, you know, Mason four years ago, three years ago, I don't know if he accepts that role, but like he's gotten older, he's gotten mature. And like, he's a guy that like every single game I know we're going to get from Mason Gillis. He's going to make wide open shots. He's going to be one of the hardest playing guys on the floor as undersized as he is in his position. Um, and he's going to be just like kind of that heartbeat in the, on our team. Like, like Purdue, when you think of Purdue, you think tough, you think blue collar. Like, you know, I think Mason Gillis. And I think he's learned and he's grown into that. He's matured. Um, and, and he's he like plays a special, special role in his team. Some games, man, he's playing 15 minutes and Caleb First may play more. Trey Kaufman may play more and be better, but he's learned to be okay with that. And I'm going to be happy for my teammates because the next game I might play 32 minutes or 28 minutes and my, you know, my number name might get called, you know, a little longer this game. And I got to be ready to be productive and and go out there and help Purdue win. And and he's been unbelievable uh, for our group, you know, his leadership, his shot making, his toughness. And uh, we're really going to need him down the stretch too. Purdue Basketball Director of Player Development, P.J. Thompson, is our guest. You mentioned it earlier, P.J., Coach Painter's been so good over so many years that you could point to any era and find a good, high-level version of Purdue basketball. So because of that, I want to shrink this timeline to like the last six or seven years dating back to your playing days. I think about teams that featured you, that Carson Edwards, Matt Harms, Isaac Haas, you look at Jay Nivey a couple years ago, and now at this stage, it's this group with Zach Eady, and it's been Eady the last couple of years, and the growth right. of Fletcher Lawyer. When you look at this Purdue team and teams of year, years past, there's been moments where it's felt like, at least from our seat, man, this is the Purdue team that's going to break that glass ceiling. It's going to make a run to the Final Four. And, and the tournament's a crapshoot, and you can't fully control that aspect of it. But what is it about this team internally that makes them unique, that feels different than other great Boilermaker teams of years past? Man, I, that's a great question, man. We've had it in the past, to be honest. You know, I think some things just haven't necessarily gone our way. Like you, you mentioned my group, Isaac Haas gets hurt. Like, I think that group was special. You know, I think that group would be, you know, remembered, you know, a little differently if Isaac didn't get hurt in the tournament. But nonetheless, like, we had a special, you know, group, special career. Um, and we helped, you know, we left Purdue basketball in a better place. And, and that was our goal. I think with Jay Nivey's group, Sasha's senior year, um, you know, we make a run to the – we lose the Big Ten tournament, lose the regular season. You know, you make a run to the Sweet 16, and, you know, you just – you lost to a feisty group that, you know, deserved to win the game. Like, um, but, you know, you you that's a team that could have made it to the Final Four, you know, last year, you know, as well. Like, that, that group was just young and inexperienced, and I didn't think people thought we would be as good. Nobody saw Zach Eadie making that type of jump after Travion left. And, you know, he did. And I thought, like, you know, we weren't really the hunted. Like, we were trying to prove to people that, like, you know, Purdue basketball has had people leave the Jaden Ivies, the Carson Edwards, the Dakota Mathias, Vince Edwards, the Hummels, Etuan Moores, you know, go down the line. But, like, Purdue basketball has still been Purdue basketball. We've produced and won games. I think last year we were kind of in that boat. Like, nope, we're still here. And now I think this team has, like, embraced being the hunt. Like, nope, we are the best team in the country, and we're going to show you why we're the best team in the country. Um 
And we've kind of embraced that role, and, and it's been no pressure. Like, we've been in big environments. We've been in big-time games. Obviously, we know the history, you know, of what we've done. There's some losses we've, you know, been a part of. Like, like me, just like Coach Painter, like, I've been here for all of them. And so I've seen the good and the bad and used those experiences to, you know, help prepare pre- propel Purdue to a place it's never been. And I think right now we have Purdue basketball in a place we've never been. And it's because of our guys. They just embraced it. You know, a couple role games, like, you know, we ate dinner and those guys are playing cards and just hanging out into the, in the meeting room till midnight. And it's just like little stuff like that. Like it's never been like that in the past. Like our groups have been close. Our groups have been um, close on and off the court, but we've never had that connectivity like this group's had. And I think it has to do with Lance. He brought a lot of that to this group in a short amount of time. Um, And and our guys have, um, you know, been great because of it. PJ, how many times in the Purdue teams that you've been around, whether it be as a player or a coach, PJ Thompson, our guest from Purdue basketball, um, Maybe the answer is never. I don't know. But how many times have you have have you seen a team that is good enough that you basically say we are not going to vary the ways that we play based on what the opponent wants us to do. We're rather just going to go out and do what we do and challenge teams to match it. Are is that where you guys are right now and if so is it unprecedented? Yeah, I think I think we've always kind of been that group to where it's like we've been unique because, you know, we have a post presence like a lot of teams in the country don't have a post presence or they do, but they don't utilize them how we do. And so we've always been different in that way to where it's like, yes, like we got to guard them in ball screen D, but like they got to guard us, too. And like, I think this group has kind of you know, had that type of swag to where it's like, yeah, they may pick on Fletcher Boyer. They may pick on Mason at times, or they may pick on Braden or Zach in the ball screen, whatever the case may be. But like, I've seen Fletcher Lawyer get picked on and then give you 27. Like, he, this group's just different to where it's like, they, it doesn't matter. Like, they're not phased by, you know, other people. Like, they have the utmost confidence and, you know, in their selves and their abilities and in, in each other to where it's like their, their, their cohesiveness is just at a level I haven't seen. Like, it doesn't matter what the other team's doing. Like, they're going in the buildings unfazed. And obviously, man, it's a lot of time left, right? Like, we still have to, you know, we got a handful of Big Ten games left. We still have goals we have to do. But, like, I love where our group is at from a, mis- uh, a mental, you know, and a physical point at this point in the season. And, like, it's kind of been – I've been on teams or I've been a part of teams to where it's like it, you get to this point in February and it's like, you know, we're do- we, we need a little more. Like, we need a little more. Like, we're kind of holding on. And I think this team is still kind of ascending towards, like, we still can get better. Like, we're, we, it's still room for us to grow. And I, and I think with this type of group, that, that can be scary. When you look, lastly, PJ, at Indiana, you commented on it. Indiana and Purdue coming up this Saturday. PJ Thompson, our guest on the Purdue staff. When you go down to Purdue, and you, or, or excuse me, you go down to Indiana and you take care of business. And so complacency with young players in particular can say, look, man, we, we, already, we already beat them on their home court handily. Yeah. How much does – and I hate to bring this up, 
But how much does Fairleigh Dickinson, from a coaching staff standpoint, actually help you? And from a player standpoint, actually help you? Because it's fresh there and you realize we got to go out game in and game out. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a piece of, I think it's a piece of Fairleigh Dickinson that's like going to be with you the rest of your life. Like, I, I think I got 20, 30 more years, like, you know, hopefully coaching in college basketball. And, and I think like that game is always going to be with me. Like, to be honest with you, I don't think if you're a competitor and you're wired the right way, I don't think it ever leaves you. But like, um, I'm not going into Indiana thinking about that game. What I do think is like college basketball, if you pay attention, like there's lessons that can be learned every night. Like Clemson goes in North Carolina and they beat them. Well, North Carolina's coming off, you know, uh, beating Duke in a, in a rivalry game, and you know those are those are the toughest games. Like you know IU came, like they were down eighteen or fifteen, whatever it was last night, and you know they clawed back to win. Like I think there's lessons if you pay attention and you allow yourself to learn, like to where you could pass that on to the guys. Like hey, like we're not North Carolina, right? Like we're Purdue, but like you guys can still learn. Like what you guys did at Indiana the first time, like it doesn't matter anymore. Like you, you think that they're going to come in here and just lay down and let us win. Like, because we're at home, it's not magic. Like coach always talks about, like, it's not magic because we're at home. Like the magic is in our details. The magic is in like what we do. And I think if we can just have the right mindset and understand, like, it's a new game and, you know, you got to go win this game, um, then I think we'll have success and we'll, you know, do the necessary things we need to do to win the game. But, like, I think learning from other people, the other 18 to 22-year-olds, like that North Carolina example, Baycott said, you know, they had guys late to shoot around. You know, they had to stop practice Monday and halfway and, you know, like, you know, talk about, like, our energy, our whatever is not there, like – let let them be our lesson, and then let us do the necessary things in our prep to go to go win the game Saturday. Gosh darn it, PJ! It's such a good conversation. It almost makes me forgive your dad for beating up on North Central with Jason Williams and Marcus Johnson back in the day. <laughs> darn it! <laughs> hey man, <laughs> much appreciate the conversation, and we look forward to having you back on again before you become a head coach somewhere. But certainly appreciate it today, PJ. No, thank you guys for having me. Appreciate you guys. All right, PJ Thompson, again, the Director of Player Development for Purdue on Matt Painter's staff. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com. And talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Clock hour underway in Indianapolis, for that matter, everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query, Jimmy Cook here as well. It is Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Our next guest, when you hear his voice, needs virtually no introduction, but I will simply say you will hear his dulcet tones calling the Super Bowl. For Westwood One Radio, Kevin Harlan joins the program. And Kevin, appreciate the time. I'll get right to this. I've always been curious. Obviously, when you get to this point, you have seen plenty of football over the course of the season. But how much preparation does go into just knowing kind of the nuances of both teams that you're going to be calling? Oh, good afternoon, guys. Thanks for having me on. I, I just did San Francisco in the national uh, 
football conference championship game and did the Chiefs against Buffalo and against Miami. And then I've done them several times on uh, CBS TV on Sundays throughout the season. So I know both teams very well. And um, I think there is a danger having this is my 14th in a row that you pile so many anecdotes and stories and statistics on top of each other. And believe me, this week, the reams of material that all of us get is just unbelievable. Massive amounts of things that it could paralyze you almost in terms of you don't know what's good, what's bad, what you should use, what you should throw away and when to use it when the whole thing is just calling the game because everybody else will fill in the gaps. But if, if, uh, if you just call it as a regular football game, that probably is the safest way to go. Now, listen, I, I mean, I've got the obvious things, but, but to get too, too deep into each of the stories with players, teams, and different sides of the ball becomes a pretty monumental task and one that I think can really uh, harm you and, and, and put you in a, in a position where you can't be nimble in terms of calling a game. And so I, I kind of, I just take a little bit, but know that, that the only thing that really is going to matter is the call as it's unfolding before us with Kurt Warner by my side. And, and, uh, and we'll go, we'll probably take that. <laughs> we'll use that as our compass, uh, which has proven to be pretty, pretty successful. Kevin Harlan is our guest. Kevin, you mentioned 14 straight Super Bowls for Westwood for Westwood One Radio Network. Take us through your routine. How does it change Super Bowl to Super Bowl? How does it change with how you would prepare for any other broadcast, whether on the NBA side, the NFL side, etc.? How does this Super Bowl in your routine change from year to year? Well, I'm headed to Los Angeles right now. In fact, I'm driving to the airport because I've got a TNT game tomorrow with the uh, Nuggets and the Lakers. And then Friday morning, I'll fly into, into Las Vegas. And, uh, and almost from the time I hit the ground, I'll be doing a series of interviews that both CBS and Westwood One have set up. And that will take me from about 10 in the morning until 3 or 4 in the afternoon. Now, they're Pacific time. So by the time that the 3 or 4 o'clock rolls around, it's, uh, you know, it's 7 o'clock in the east, and most of the local shows are over. Games are being uh, broadcast or uh, network programming is, is locked in. So so really it's during that five-hour span that I'll spend about 10 minutes per station, per outlet, and just jump from place to place and usually get in about 45 different appearances uh, with different TV and, and radio outlets um, in that five-hour span. And then Saturday we'll have a production meeting at 9 in the morning with our entire crew in Westwood 1, uh, CBS Radio flies in, has about, I don't know, maybe 20 people, uh, technicians, producers, um, uh, in a variety of roles, and, and everyone has got their little part of the chain that they got to keep strong, and they do, and they're terrific. And uh, then I'll have most of Saturday afternoon free where I can kind of do my final viewing. But throughout this week, I've been watching tape clearly to make sure, going back over my own notes on my own broadcasts, things I've liked that I've done, things I don't like, which I've done, which always seem to outweigh the things I like, and, and, and try to continually stay on top of it, um, uh, but, but not letting it get too, not getting too much in the weeds, making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty nimble with how I'm thinking and my approach to the game. Really, I, I'm not thinking about, I got to get this note in here. I got to make sure I mention that on that catch. Really, what, what I'm thinking about is just, making sure that my own mechanics are correct 
and then I have found that everything else kind of follows uh, after that. Uh, TV is a different animal, but because I've done the Niners on CBS and done uh, multiple Chiefs games on CBS, I have more extensive notes, and so I'll be leaning on those quite a bit and then updating them as we've gone through these these different playoff games to to get to where we are this weekend in Super Bowl 58. Kevin, if you were a defensive coordinator, would you lose more sleep over figuring out how to corral and keep in check Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey in that offense or trying to limit the playmakers in space that San Francisco can have? Space, excellent point. Uh, the linebackers of San Francisco as a tandem are the two best pass cover linebackers in the league. They're incredible, probably the two fastest as well. And they are they are impeccable in their coverage. And they always seem to be at the right place, right time. And the percentage that quarterbacks have had thrown against those two linebackers, Greenlaw and Warner, are minimal. They're like league lows. So Kelsey is going to have his hands full. He thrives in in stemming a route, in choice routes, in kind of getting a feel for what happens at the end of the route and then making an adjustment, those options may be limited. Um, and so uh, that for the Chiefs side. For the San Francisco side, yards after catch is the number one thing about that offense. It's not that Purdy throws deep, and he can. He's got one of the top percentages going 10 yards or more through the air. But the great thing about Purdy is he knows when to dump it off when he sees a guy's going to have some maneuverability, and he takes advantage of it. Samuel is an X factor. Can do, he, he can do so many different things and becomes so hard to deal with. But the yards after catch, Ayuk, Kittle, McCaffrey, I mean, boy, they've got a lot of things at their disposal. And Brock has been very wise in the way he's used that in most of his yards. 4,200 through the air, most of his yards are yards after catch. And um, so that would be a concern if I were the Chiefs and and having to deal with that because that may be the number one thing. The Chiefs have the two best cornerbacks maybe in the league on one team. McDuffie, who's a young player, and Legereus Sneed. So I don't know how much deep is going to happen. Sideline, outside the numbers, is going to happen. But, man, I can see a lot of yards after catch and maneuverability and reading tackles and kind of sifting your way through whatever defense is in front of you. Both teams may rely on that. I'll add one more thing. The Chiefs have developed a Debo Samuel-type wide receiver slash running back themselves in this Rashi Rice, who's emerged from the second half of the season on. He's an early pick out of SMU. He's a rookie, but he's finally on the same page, and they've been using him as much in the Debo Samuel role as any offense in the NFL, aside from San Francisco, who has the original. And and I think that's going to be something to watch, too, on Sunday. Broadcasting great Kevin Harlan is our guest. Kevin, I know there's not enough time for you to fully expound on this, but how special is it for you to have your daughter, Olivia Harlan-Decker? You two will become the first father-daughter duo to cover a Super Bowl. Yeah, she's there for Sky Sports. Her husband um, is Sam Decker, who played for those two Final Four teams at the University of Wisconsin, played five years in the league in the NBA, now playing overseas in the EuroLeague. He's with London. So she lives over there with her baby, and she had to give up the ESPN sideline role for college football and, of course, went over there with her husband and, and son. And so she's had to kind of reinvent herself a little bit. And Sky Sports is like the ESPN of Europe. They go all over Europe, Ireland, down to Spain, 
in, 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 into the Baltic region. So they cover a wide span of, of Europe and Eastern Europe, with their, and they're the official NFL outlet uh, for the league uh, in Europe. And so she's a part of that crew, and it's a lot of fun. I'll be watching her on the sideline, and she's been there all week. She's had, she goes, Dad, Adam Schefter gave me a big hug tonight. And, and oh, and I saw Ian Rappaport. No, I just visited with, with uh, uh, Tracy Wolfson. So she's having the time of her life covering the Super Bowl. She's there. I'll see her on Friday, and then we're going to make a couple of joint appearances. But you're nice to bring her up. We're, we're, we're very proud of her that she's had to kind of reinvent herself overseas, but in the same role, and she's enjoying it. And, and your son-in-law saved us all from a Kentucky undefeated season in Indianapolis. <laughs> so right. so he, dinner he, for he, life. <laughs> that was the final four. He said, he said, when we beat Kentucky and ended their undefeated season, that took so much out of our gas tank. And, I'm sure. And, and then yeah. they, play, they played Duke well, but they had a tough t- – anyway, uh, but you're nice to mention that. And, and uh, he had a good run in Madison and now is enjoying uh, the, the final portion of his pro career overseas. Lastly, Kevin, because I know you got to run, but I have to mention this. I'm a member of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Radio Network, so I'm part of the broadcast for the Indy 500. Somebody had unearthed an article where you had said that at one time, I'm not saying now, but at one time that one of your goals as a young man was to broadcast the Indy 500. Any chance you'd ever come by and visit us in the booth? Well, if, if I ever get that, it's on my bucket list. I've never seen one in person. I watch it every year. I'm not necessarily a, a motorsports fan, but that broadcast uh, captivated me as a young kid. Uh, I remember Paul Page, we would yep. anchor that, and I loved his voice. And, and I just thought the dexterity of that broadcast to go from turn to turn to turn to turn and capture the excitement of that race was unparalleled. And I, to this day, I listen to it. I love every word. I love the engineering feat and the technical side that it takes to produce something like that. So I'm a huge fan. And if I ever get there, I will definitely look you up. Sounds good. We would love to have you. I'll be in turn three, and we will try to do our best, as I know you will, in calling the Super Bowl for Westwood One. Kevin Harlan, the broadcaster, joining us. Kevin, uh, NBA on TNT, have a good call, and then obviously in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you very much. We saw your Pacers uh, a week ago against Boston. They sure played them well, and I love that team. I I love Tyrese. I just think he is – they got the right voice in their head, and and Rick – and love their team. It, it, it's so balanced that the, the, the second five is almost as good as the first five, and that's rare in the NBA, and I have great hopes for the Pacers as they go for the second half of this season. I love that team. Will you be here for the All-Star game? I will. I'm just doing Saturday night. I, 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 I try to take as much time off as I can during that time, frankly, and uh, so I've I'm, I'm just got to do Saturday night, and then uh, but, but maybe I'll see the, uh, the Pacers in the uh, – um, in the court in the finals, because uh, we're doing the the, the finals and, and during the playoff run. But I sure enjoyed seeing them last week. They're a blast. They're an absolute blast to watch. Well, Kevin, we appreciate it. When you're here, you let your daughter know that you're in the London and the Midwest while she's overseas and join the All Star game. <laughs> Kevin, we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate I- it. Kevin Harlan, the Super Bowl radio voice on Westwood One. <laughs>